We are in our last session today on the book of Malachi. Uh, we've, I think we've preached seven or eight messages on Malachi. And um, I hope you've gotten something out of this little study. I certainly have. And uh, quite often it is maybe more the benefit of the teacher. Um, but I hope you have gotten something out of it. Um, it's been a really a good study for me. But today we're going to be wrapping up the book of Malachi. Um, this is the last book in the Old Testament. And uh, God then stopped talking to the Jewish nation for 400 years um, until John the Baptist came on the scene, which then opened a new chapter, if you will, in the life of the church. Um, that began the church age, if you will, uh, because he was introducing Jesus. Jesus came as the Redeemer. He came as the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Um, but Malachi like all the other prophets of the Old Testament, had a burning in his soul to speak the word of God. And I, I'm so amazed when I read Old Testament prophets because these guys didn't have a precedent. I mean, they were truly breaking new ground for God. They didn't have the Bible to read. <laughs> I mean, they, they were just trusting the voice of God. They were just hearing God's voice. They were, the Holy Spirit was anointing them. And they were speaking the words of God. And they knew it wasn't popular. Many of the Old Testament prophets gave some really, really hard words to the people of the day. And they were criticized. And they were uh, cast out from many of their family and friends. They were ridiculed, persecuted. But they held firm to God's word. And I just pray we can do the same thing in our civilization, in our world today. Because God's word is very important. It has so many great things in it and so much encouragement for us. At the same time, it has some very stern warnings for us. It has some very great truths for us that we must read and we must appreciate them and we must um, embrace them and we must do our best to apply them in our lives. Reading God's word is not an easy thing to do. Reading God's word will put you to the test. But God is faithful to those that read it, faithful to those that will apply it and study it Ask the Holy Spirit to give them discernment as the men of old and even the writers of the New Testament were hearing the voice of God as they were writing it. The Holy Spirit is just as alive today, inspiring it and bring it alive to you for your situation, right where you're at. It is the answer book of our life's problems. We just need to make sure that we're listening and we're ready to apply it. So let's open your Bible to Malachi chapter 4, and we're going to get through this whole chapter here. It's only six verses, so it's not long, but let's just go through this and hear what Malachi has to say to us today. Malachi chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Again, I'm reading this in the New Living Translation. It says, The Lord of heavy, heaven's armies says, The day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace. On that day, the arrogant and the wicked will burn up like straw. They will be consumed, roots, branches, and all. Verse 2, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. 
and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves led out to pasture. On the day when I act, you will tread upon the wicked as if they were dust under your feet, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant. All the decrees and regulations that I give him on Mount Sinai are for all of Israel. Verse 5 and 6. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. That's it. Amen. Drop the mic. That's what God did. That was it. That was it. That was all there was of the Old Testament. And then he went silent for 400 years. Let's pray. Father, bring this alive to us. Bring this alive in our hearts. Let us understand what you were saying to your people then and now. We need you more than ever. We need you more than ever. So I pray you speak to us today. Share with us your word in Jesus' name. Amen. The day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace, is what Malachi said. Malachi begins this final discourse by stating the fact that God's judgment is coming. It's on the way. It's coming. It's going to happen. This is not fiction. This is a fact. God's judgment is coming. And when it comes, it will come in all completion. Nothing will be left bare. Nothing will be left out. And it's so interesting that he calls it a fire because nothing brings an end so completely as fire. Fire destroys things. It changes it chemically. It takes that wood or that whatever is in the fire and it decomposes it and it changes it so that it can never be put back together again. Fire completely destroys whatever is in it and it is no respecter of what's in the fire. Now some things may have to have a hotter fire for sure, but it will at the end of the day win. <laughs> fire will co completely consume whatever is in it. Now, it's interesting. Have you ever sat by, by a campfire and watched the flame and tried to figure it out? It's so interesting, isn't it? You can't grab it. You, you, you can't, you can feel it. You can see it. But you can't hold it in your hand. I mean, I've tried to grab it. <laughs> you know? I mean, come on. I have. We all have tried to grab it. But you can't. It's a gas. But yet it has heat and it has light. And it consumes. It needs fuel to keep it burning. Such a strange thing, isn't it? So It's so strange to, to watch a flame burn. If you haven't done it, I encourage you to light a candle when you get home and just watch it for a while. <laughs> it's kind of fun to watch. But nothing burns like a furnace, like a fire. And when I think of a furnace like this, when I think of what Malachi is saying, that it's going to burn like a furnace, I, I have to go back and it reminded me of the furnace that King Nebuchadnezzar created and built up and 
fired up as hot as he could for the three Hebrew children, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Do you remember that? In Daniel, Daniel chapter 3, verse 22, it says, And because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. That's how hot the fire was. That it was so hot that the soldiers, when they got close enough to throw the three Hebrew children in, that they, it killed the soldiers and they weren't even in the flames. That's how hot the fire was. But yet we know the story of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego and another person showed up in the flames and they walked in that fire and King Nebuchadnezzar says, wait, I threw three people in, but I see four walking around. <laughs> That's amazing that God was in the flames with them and he brought them out without even a smell of smoke. That's for you and me today. Do you know that? That the flames of this world, the fire of this world that is to consume you, that when you have Christ in your life and the Holy Spirit resides with you, that he's with you in the flames. Amen. That's a good thing. But the flames that Malachi's talking about are not those kind of flames. These are the flames of judgment. And we all know where this next thought would go, and that is that fire in hell is an ever-consuming fire but yet it never burns up. Man, I'll tell you, we want a description of hell. Go read it in your Bible. Do you know Jesus spoke of hell more than he spoke of heaven? Do you know that? Yet we don't like to think about hell. We don't like to realize that there is a punishment, that there's an eternal consequence for those that don't choose Christ. Hard, 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 hard to talk about, hard to read, hard to embrace it, but yet we're going to see why we... We will celebrate, but we have to understand the significance of the downside before we can appreciate the goodness of the upside. And that's what Malachi is doing in this book. You know, I, uh, I burned enough wood with my dad over the years and burned enough rush to appreciate the power of fire in its completeness. You would throw a big branch in and not long before it starts settling in and before long it just just dissolves into ashes. It's amazing. It's amazing. And that's the completeness of God's judgment, that when the day comes, when the day comes that everything will be laid bare and everything will be exposed and everything will be burned up that isn't eternal. So what is that day and when is that day? That's the thing. That's the big question for all of us. Now, I'm going to talk about that, but I'm not going to talk about it right now. I have some other things to talk about first. First, we need to ask, we need to talk about why that day needs to come and what's going to happen when it does come. What does this verse indicate will happen? It says, on the day, on that day, the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like straw. They will be consumed, roots, branches, and all. Now remember, We've been talking about the Jewish people here have been questioning Malachi. In fact, if you read further on, you can go back all through the, the Old Testament and see so many times the people had questions for God about, God, where are you? Where is your justice system? Because here, we're trying to serve you. We're trying to do the right things, and, and we're struggling. And yet there are wicked people all around us that are prospering, and they're saying, God, where are you? Where is your justice? 
And just earlier in the book of Malachi, they were really complaining and to the point of grumbling against Malachi and said, it's not even worth it to serve God because I'm doing everything I can to serve God and, and I'm struggling more than the wicked and the wicked are prospering and so God, it's not even worth it. I'm not even going to try anymore. That's how bad it got. And I will say that's probably how bad it is today for some people. Maybe they're just not seeing it. Maybe they're just so, maybe they're so under so much oppression by the enemy that they're just giving up. On God. Well, Malachi gives the answer. The final answer is that on that day, the wicked and the arrogant will be destroyed. It's coming. Judgment is coming. We just have to recognize that. But the question is, I want to ask the question, who is going to be burned up on that day? Who is going to be burned up? Now, we, we see the wicked. Clearly, the wicked, the Hitlers, the Stalins, the murderers, the, the sex offenders, you know, the ones that prey on young children, you know, the people that do terrible things, the politicians, <laughs> lawyers, you know, all those kind of guys. <laughs> you know, I'm kidding on that a little bit. But, you know, I mean, we, we all can identify the wicked people, can't we? They're going to be burned up and they're, they're going to they're come to bear. They're going to bear the consequences, all the evil people. But there's a group of people here that we read over very quickly that I think we need to talk about. The arrogant. The arrogant people. Now, who are those? What's the difference between arrogance and wickedness? And who are those people? Let's talk about it. When I looked up the definition of arrogant, it says having or revealing an exaggerated sense of one's own importance or ability. And I looked about, uh, and I looked at what are the synonyms for arrogance? What are the other words that er for arrogance? And it says that they are conceited, big-headed, proud, egotistical, superior, overconfident, people that are self-important. All of a sudden, I'm hearing this arrogance kind of getting closer to home here for me. <laughs> and I'm trying to think, you know, I can see the wicked, and I'm clearly not a wicked person. I know that, and I know that you're not a wicked person. But maybe I can be a little arrogant, and maybe that says I need to wake up because it says the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up. Let's continue on. When I, did, when I looked a little deeper, I, I looked into the Hebrew word because I was looking for something that wasn't going to make it so bad for me. And the, 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 oh, the antonyms of, of, wicked, of uh, arrogance, first of all, are humble and moderate. Okay, That's the opposite of arrogance is to be humble or moderate, all right? Okay, so Hebrew word for arrogant is zed, and it means arrogant, proud, haughty. And this last one really got me, willful sins. All right, it's getting a little closer to home, isn't it? You see, the arrogant are good people that do good things yet they might have a little problem with pride or arrogance. Or maybe they're a little egotistical. Maybe they're a little self-centered. Maybe we can be thinking of ourselves a little bit too much. Maybe we can indulging in some little sins, you know, the ones that God overlooks. You know what I'm talking about? 
I mean, God can't expect perfection out of me. He knows that I'm just a man. He knows that I can't withstand all the pressures and temptations of this world. So surely there are some little sins that I can indulge in. Surely there, it's that second look at that good-looking person, male or female. It's that, that temptation to uh, maybe cheat a little bit on my taxes or, 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 or do some things that may not be right in my business world. You know, those little things that he just allows us to get away with. You know what I'm talking about? Listen, listen, if we look closely at ourselves, we can see ourselves quickly falling into the arrogant category. And remember, the burning of the furnace is no respecter of persons. I can be a pastor and I can be arrogant. Yeah. It scares me. And it should scare us all. We should be humble moderate. God cannot be mocked in any way. Think of this. God cannot be mocked. He knows exactly who you are. He knows exactly who I am. And I cannot outwit God. And I cannot pull one over on him. And I cannot mock him at all. Even in his love and compassion, his justice is pure and holy, and therefore we need to be living a lifestyle of humble repentance and mercy and embracing his compassion. It's humility and openness and just a submission unto him. James chapter 4, I, I, I love reading the book of James because James is a half-brother of Jesus. Can you imagine growing up with Jesus? <laughs> Can you imagine that? Physically, he was the half-brother of Jesus. He, James, and there's a few others, and Jude were the offspring of Mary and Joseph after Jesus was born. Mary and Joseph had children, and James was a brother, a half-brother of Christ, and he grew up in the same household. And I think that's just amazing. I can't imagine what it would have been like to, to be a brother of Jesus. But anyway, James says some things to us because he has every right to not just because he saw Jesus in all of his humanity, but he finally recognized Jesus in his, in his holiness. Yeah. James says, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. Boy, he had to emphasize it. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Look at that. Nobody's making you an enemy of God besides yourself. If I want to choose to be a friend of the world, meaning I, 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 I want more of what the world can give me than what can God can give me, then I am choosing the world over God, and therefore I am making myself an enemy of God. That's what he's saying here. It's very clear. And then he says, do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him, and he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. You see, we have the opportunity. There is, it's not too hard, and we have every opportunity to get to heaven, but it has to come through humbleness and humility and moderation and submission. It doesn't come from my own tooting my own horn saying how good I am. Now, yeah, I want to be good. I want to live a righteous lifestyle. I get that. So do you. We need to. 
but that's not ours to proclaim. <laughs> it's God to proclaim, to say, well done, thou good and faithful. You did a great job. I'm proud of you, but let him say it. I don't need to say it of myself. I don't want to be a part of that arrogant crowd. I want to be of the humble humility. I want to be in the submission crowd. There's good news. And the good news is coming. Malachi is just about ready to give the good news. Now that he's kind of laid it out to the people, kind of laid it out to say the reality is this, but he says, but there's good news coming. And the good news is that God is holy. And in order for us to be with God, we also have to be holy and God's grace and mercy is sufficient, and he will help us. The Holy Spirit's job is to help us get there. So let's go to verse 2 and 3 and see the good news of Malachi. It says in verse 2, But for you who fear my name, for you who fear the name of God, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves let out of a pasture. Let out to pasture. On the day when I act, you will tread upon the wicked as if they were dust under your feet, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Now that day that's coming, of the Lord that, that, that Malachi is talking about here, it's going to be absolutely an amazing and a wonderful day. But in the same way, it's going to be absolutely dreadful and disastrous for others. If you're a follower of Christ, you will be absolutely beyond the top amazed. You will be like calves leaping for joy. Now, I don't know if I or you can really appreciate that because I've never seen that happen, but I have heard about it that when calves and other animals that are penned up for the winter or young calves or young horses, colts, when they get out to the pasture, they just are crazy with joy, jumping and leaping around and just and, 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 and enjoying their freedoms. That's what it's going to be like. I mean, I want to just take the few minutes here and just let your imagination run wild. That first breath of heavenly air, what is it going to be like? Imagine sitting here right now and all of a sudden the trumpet call of God comes and the rapture happens and the taking away of the church and all of a sudden all there is left is a pile of clothes and we are caught up and we're meeting Jesus in the air. The excitement of that day, I, we can't even begin to imagine what that's going to be like. It's going to be an awesome expression of joy and happiness that, that will never fade away. So for those of us that have washed our blood, washed our clothes in the blood of Christ, that we've washed our garments and we're white as snow, not, we're not perfect, but we're, rep we're repentant and we're forgiven. Man, that's going to be a day of newfound freedoms and which is going to be absolutely amazing. And, and I don't know that we can ever even begin to capture the emotion until we get there but it's going to be a great day. And we really can't appreciate that day until we've seen the negative side. And that's what I've been talking about. That's what Malachi was talking about. The day of the judgment will be the day of freedom as well. Yeah. So in light of what Malachi has been talking about here, he goes on to verse 4. Because verse 4 takes it again. He, he takes it down and he's trying to uh, make the point that we have some things that we have to do to be sure that we can enjoy the freedoms 
of God's word and not be caught up in the disastrous judgment of God's word. And he says in verse 4, he says, So remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant. All the decrees and regulations that I gave him on Mount Sinai for all of Israel. Remember to obey the laws of Moses. And what that is telling us today is that there are moral and there are um, truths and there are ethical words of instruction that come in the Old Testament that we are to obey just as much as they were. Now, thank the Lord that the ritualistic laws um, and the sacrificial laws of the Old Testament were, were fulfilled in Christ. That we don't need to go back and re-sacrifice every day and every, every week and so forth. That our sacrifice is Jesus and we've accepted him. But yet there are laws and there are moral obligations and, and intentional things that we need to be living with, living according to. And so what Malachi is trying to say here is that we are to live by the rules of right living. You know, the ones that the world hates to hear. <laughs> Why does the world hate to hear this? Why does the world hate to hear that there are laws and regulations that we need to live by if we're going to be righteous? Well, the world hates to hear these things because if I'm a worldly person or even a worldly Christian that is trying to live and gain as much as I can in the world and yet be a follower of Christ, there are some things that I just don't want to hear because they're in conflict with what my soul, what my flesh man wants to be. And that conflict always puts us in tension. And so the world doesn't want to hear these things. If I'm trying to enjoy life to its fullest, meaning that I don't really care about tomorrow, I just want to enjoy life for all I can get out of it today, without regard for my eternity, it seems that all God's rules are meant to do is take away my fun. You know what I'm talking about? All the don'ts of God's word, all they're doing is just trying to, he's just a mean old God in heaven trying to make me a mean old person on earth. And I just don't have any joy because I've just got to suffer. Woe is me. I have to, I have to put up with all the, 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 the woes of God's word. And, and, you know, that is just a lie of the enemy. I wish we could see it that way. It's just such a lie of the enemy. Because if we can really believe what God's word is saying, his, his freedom or his word is freedom for us, not bondage. But the world gets sucked into this biggest lie of the enemy that he's ever, ever made. And here's the reality. If you're sucked into it, you're not the only one that's been sucked into it. <laughs> Many have been sucked into this lie, and, and I will show you why I say that. Because it's a lie of the enemy that many have been sucked into. And if you read Matthew chapter 7, and I know many have read this verse numerous times, but I want to talk about this for a minute because some really, there's some really truths here. In Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 13, it says for, that we are to enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Kind of a hard one to understand, but let's, let's break this down a little bit. Why is this important in today's, in the context of Malachi? Well, first of all, let's read, let's, let's look at this verse. There's two roads, two roads, meaning two separate destinations. One road is leading to destruction. The other road is leading to life. There's one of these roads is wide and the other road is narrow. 
The road leading to destruction is the wide road. The road leading to life, eternal life, is the narrow road. In case it's not obvious, who's on the two roads? Two different roads. The wide road leading to destruction is filled with the arrogant and the wicked that Malachi is talking about. Okay, the wide road, the, the, the one that, that is easy to walk down because it's wide and broad. The narrow road, on the other hand, leading to life is numbered with the few that, ha that fear the name of the Lord. I guess it's important for us all to examine our hearts and lives. Which road, am I, which road are you on? Which road am I on? Am I on the narrow road or am I on the broad road? We're on one of the two roads. There's not a third road mentioned. So we have to recognize which road are we on. It's something that we really should take to heart. And the other thing I want to emphasize with this road are the numbers on each road. How many are on the wide road? What's it say? Many. And how many are on the narrow road? Which is more? Many or few? Sound like Sesame Street. Yeah. Again, we can overlook these facts. We can overlook these things that the Bible is true. Many are on the wide road leading to destruction. And only a few are on the narrow road leading to eternal life. That should give us pause. It should make us consider our lives. Where are we? What road are we on? See, the enemy of our soul is in the business of deception. Can I just tell you that? The enemy of our soul, the devil, Satan, his demons that are assigned to you, their role is to deceive you. Their role is to deceive me. And they're very good at what they do. They've had many, many years, thousands of years, 6,000 years or so to practice just to get to you and to get to me. And they know human nature pretty well. I believe that we are assigned heavenly angels that guard over us, that God puts in charge over us, that I have a guardian angel. And because Satan is, imi uh, is, is imitating God in everything God does, I think he also has assigned demonic people, forces, angels, fallen angels to me and you as well. And their job is to study you. Their job is to study me. Have you ever read... Um, the book from C.S. Lewis. Oh, I get that name. It just the Screw Tape Letters. Thank you. Yeah, um, Uncle Wormwood. Thank you for helping me rhyme there, Uncle Wormwood. It's all about the letters that Satan is writing to the little demons, giving them assignments to how they are to watch and destroy and trip up the Christians who are the enemies in the book, if you will, because it's always written from. The enemy is the good guy in this book, the screw tape letters. It's really a good read. I encourage you to read it, C.S. Lewis. But that's exactly what it is, that we are assigned demons to watch over us and to study your every move and to study my every move and to know where I'm, where I'm weak, to know where I'm susceptible to temptation. 
And then it's their job to put temptation in front of me all the time and continually pound me and harass me and, and to hound me until I give in to the temptation. And then he says, yeah, come on, everybody's doing it. That's why the wide road has so many people, because everybody's doing it. Come on. When I was a kid, when I would want to do some things with my friends and my mom and dad would say no, I'd say, come on, mom, dad, everybody else is doing it. Everybody else is going to the dances and whatever, you know, whatever the stuff was going on. Everybody else is. Why can't I? You know, I try to put the guilt trip on them. You know, it didn't work too well. Maybe it worked too good, maybe. I'm not sure. But the reality is the devil is in the, is in the business of deceiving you and I and that many, if not most, of those on the wide road don't know they're on the wide road. Think about it. Because if they did, why would they want to stay there? I think many that are on the wide road, thinking they're gone the narrow road, thinking they're on the road to heaven, they are so deceived, they won't know it until they get to the final destination, and then all hell breaks out, literally. Now, we talked about those leaping for joy, like the calves, leaping for joy, because that first breath of fresh air, that first breath of heavenly air, what that's going to be like. Now, on the other side, I just got to share it. On the other side, what's the first breath of hell's air like? That first stench of hell. Can you imagine the hopelessness that people are going to feel when they're thinking, ah, I thought I was going to heaven. That's what the devil's doing. And he's so good at it that he can deceive us until the day is too late, until the day of judgment comes. That's why preachers need to preach like this every so often. Because it's love that motivates us to preach like this. I don't want you or me or any of my family to go to hell. I do not want any of my enemies to go to hell. It is such a terrible place, and it's going to be forever. I want all of us, and I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just giving reality. That's why Moses says, remember to obey the law of Moses. Remember who you are. Let me say this, and then I'll move on. When God says no to you and me, when I'm not living maybe down the right paths and God says, no, don't do that. What is he really saying? He's really saying, no, I don't want you to hurt yourself. Don't do that. It's only going to hurt you. I, and I want relationship with you. I, I want to spend eternity with you. So I'm saying, don't do that. Please, Mike, don't do that because it's only going to hurt you. But do this instead. And brings joy and happiness and peace. So his no is never a way to take me from the joy of this world. I just want you to know that. It's never, ever meant to be a killjoy. God is not in the business of killing your joy. He's in the business of giving your joy if we'll just listen to him. Hmm, it is so good. No, don't hurt yourself. Let me share what the Bible commentary says about this, about having a Christian attitude. It says this, just as in the days of Old Testament prophets, Christ's followers today are still required to live by the ethical and moral standards of God's law. However, we should do this not of obligation to a hard taskmaster, master, but out of love 
and thankfulness to God who saves us from ourselves. Think of that. We should have a heart of want to rather than a heart of have to. We should should have an attitude that not only will share eternal life, but we will also share the happiness and fulfillment of this life if I have the right attitude of I get to, not that I have to. You see the difference there? When I can ask the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit takes residence in my life, and now I I get to obey God. I don't have to. It's my joy. It's my privilege. It's my desire to live for God. Not only will that assure me eternal life, but it will give me a good life now because I have no regrets. I don't live with, oh, what did I do last night? Oh, what, who, was that? who was I with last night? What did I do? I don't have that. I don't have that regret. I just have joy. And I have peace in the times of the devil's worst temptations, whether it's a temptation to sin or a temptation to give up on God because life is so hard. I get it. But let me just encourage you to don't give up. Don't give up. He's there. He's there for you. He loves you, and he wants to carry us through. Amen. So Malachi then finishes strong here, the last couple verses. He says, look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrive. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. Now, let's get down to some of the questions we were asking at the beginning that we all want the answers to. What and when is that day coming? When is that day coming? Don't you want to know that? It's the day that Jesus is coming to earth. So let's talk about this for a few minutes because we need to understand this clearly because this is really the crux. This is who we are. This is the foundations of Christianity. See, what Malachi is prophesying here, remember, this is pre-Jesus. All right, Jesus has not come into the world yet. This is Old Testament. So what Malachi is prophesying here, he did it in the, at, the, at the end of chapter 3 and at the beginning of chapter 4. He talked about messengers that were coming before the Messiah. The first time that Jesus came to earth, he came as a baby, and we know that, Christmas Day. He came as a baby so that he could grow up to be a man, a sinless man, to be our perfect sacrifice and to be our salvation, right? That's the first coming of Jesus. And John the Baptist was foretelling that. So John the Baptist was that first foreteller of the Messiah. Right? Now he's talking about Elijah. Now Elijah, this is a different coming of the Christ. Now, now there's going to be another appearing of Jesus, and that's going to come in two phases. right? And we haven't seen this yet, but it's coming soon. There's the two phases are, the, first, the next time Jesus comes to earth, he's coming selectively. He's coming for those that, have, are, that are looking for him, and it's called the rapture, the great taking away of the church. Jesus is coming, but the world will not see him. He will come in the clouds. There will be a great, uh, 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 the archangel and the, and the God will blow the trumpet. And at that, Jesus will appear, and instantaneously, in the twinkling of an eye, all those that are have their garments washed and are ready to go and are anticipating the return of the Lord, we will rise immediately into the air and we will go and Jesus will take us away. That's the second coming, the rapture of Jesus in the first phase. Then after that, there will be seven years of tribulation on this world 
I believe wholeheartedly in a pre-trib rapture that Jesus will take away the church before the tribulation happens. In the next seven years, then, we will be in heaven. Those that were snatched away will be in heaven, and we will be celebrating the, 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 the marriage supper of the Lamb. For seven years, we're going to be celebrating the marriage supper of the Lamb, and that's indicative of an Old Testament Jewish wedding. They would seven days, seven years of celebration. While what's happening down here on earth is seven years of severe tribulation. Three and a half years, not so bad. Then the next three and a half, severe tribulation, uh, unbelievable tribulation, and the enemy, the, the wrath of God is poured out on those that are rejected. Finally, then, at the end of that seven-year tribulation, the second part of the second coming of Christ comes. This time, the whole world will see him. He will appear as, uh, as, uh, on a white horse as a warrior God coming back to destroy the Antichrist and Satan. And, and all the world will see him. And those that have, uh, uh, that have re been rejecting him, it, they'll, uh, it'll all come to bear right then and there. I want you to turn in Revelation chapter 19. And I'm just going to read this to you. If you don't have your Bible, I'm going to read this to you. And I want you to close your eyes because this is an amazing word picture of what's going to happen, that second coming of Christ, the second return when he comes in the clouds, not in the clouds, but when he comes and touches down on earth and all the world sees him, this is what it's going to be like. So just listen, listen as I read. In Revelation chapter 19, beginning at verse 11, it says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty of horses and their riders and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. And all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. This is describing what it's going to be like at the end of the tribulation. And Jesus comes back a second time. And he's beginning now the, the reign of a thousand-year millennial reign where Jesus now will rule with an iron scepter in perfection. But all those that have rejected him prior to that and received the mark of the beast will be destroyed. We will be with him. We will be riding, we will be part of that army that will come with Jesus and we'll watch it all. We'll be able to watch and witness this whole thing as God comes, as Jesus comes down and we'll witness it all. 
and Jesus will be there. He'll be our king, the king of kings and lord of lords. That is so exciting for me. When is the first part going to happen? When is the rapture going to occur? Any day. Let me just tell you, any day. There is nothing stopping the rapture from happening. In a couple weeks, we're going to be watching a series from Jimmy Evans called The Tipping Point. The end is here. And I'm going to be showing it, I think, for three or four Sundays. And uh, Jimmy Evans gives good evidence. He's been, a, he's been studying eschatology or the study of the end times for almost 50 years. He does a great job laying it out. And I want us all to know that the rapture is right at hand. We are in the end of the end of the end of the last days. Get ready. Get ready. The rapture is right around the corner. And if you don't believe me, do you know when your last breath is gonna, of air is going to be? I don't know when my last breath of air is going to be either. So i got to be living like I'm ready, whether I'm going to be in a corporate rapture or my own physical death. Because I don't know. And you don't know either. So we have to be living ready. So finally, verse 6. Let me just say this one other thing. If you knew, let me just ask the question. If you knew, if God said the rapture is going to happen on September 28, 2020. How would you live today? See, human nature says I probably wouldn't be too concerned about it because I can have until September 27th to get ready. <laughs> Come on. I'm, I'm a procrastinator. My wife will tell you that. And you probably are too to a degree. That's why it has to be a mystery. And it's not that God is trying to surprise us, but he's trying to get us to live for Jesus because we don't know. We know the season. The Bible says when the fig tree blossoms, you know that spring is close by. Well, Israel became a country in 1948. It became Jer Jerusalem became the capital in 1967. It says the generation that saw that will not pass away until all things are completed. Well, we're 70 in our 70th year after Israel became a nation. We got another, two, 2028, it'll be 80 years. So that 70, 80 years, we're close by. And Jimmy Evans lays this out very clearly to us today. So the point is, we know the times, and Jesus is coming back for those that are watching for him, those that are anticipating him, like the, like the, like the 10 virgins, five virgins were ready, five weren't, right? We have to be five that have our... our uh, candles trimmed and our, our, our lamps full of oil, okay? So there's that reminder to us that we have to be anticipating it. We don't need to know the exact day. It's not important. And I'm not putting a date on it. I'm just saying it could be any day. Just like my last breath of air in this life could be any day. I live for Jesus. And I do it willingly and I do it joyfully and I'm not doing it out of fear. I don't live in fear. Jim does not live in fear today, Lindell. There's no fear in Jim's heart. There's no fear in my heart. No fear in your heart. Shouldn't be at least. Finally, verse 6. It says, His preaching will turn the hearts of, the, of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and take strike the land with a curse. What he's saying here, we could probably have a great message on this, but I'm going to just say it this way. What he's saying, this is indicative of God's word. That the hearts of fathers and children will be called together as God, as our Father, is calling to us as his children to say, come back to me. 
The whole Bible, like I've said it before in the book of Malachi and all of the Old Testament, all of the Old Bible, is all about the love of God, calling us back to relationship. That's what the Bible's all about, calling us back to relationship. And so, he, so Malachi is just stressing it. He says that, that his preaching, that uh, Elijah's preaching and the preaching of, testament, of, of preachers today and others today are saying that we will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and hearts of children to their fathers as God is calling us back to love. Jackie, would you come, please? That's what makes us a child of God. You know, we have to have the choice to love. Love is the thing that our choices prove our love. Our choices prove our love. Who are you choosing today? What road are you choosing to be on today? That proves your love. It proves your love. So as we wrap up this book and this final study, I hope that we can see the truths of God's word based, wrapped up, in love, not anger. There's no anger in my heart today. There's no anger in the heart of God today. All that's in the heart of God is love. There's coming a day of anger. There's coming a day of God's wrath, no question about it. But today, he's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of calling us back. So if you're here or if you're watching online, I just want you to know that God's mercy is extending to you wherever you're at today. It's not too late. You have a breath of air in your lungs. You have an opportunity to say, I'm sorry, Jesus. Close your eyes with me if you would, please. Father, I know that you are a God that sees all things. I know that you're a God of love. I know that you're a God of mercy. I know that you're a God of justice. I know that you are searching the world for those that are loving you back. So I pray right now that you would see my heart of repentance and of humility and of submission that I recognize that you have to be the center point of my life. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin. And so this morning, if you're in this place today, and if you are asking the Lord to forgive you of our sins, and, and maybe you've done it before, but I just want to ask you again. I want you to ask to do it again. To do it fresh. To do it new. To live in a life of, a, a life of repentance. There's nothing too bad. You've done nothing too bad that you can't be forgiven from. I just want you to know that. But you have to take the next step if you want to be on the narrow road. So this morning, I'm just going to ask you if you want to do that. And everybody's eyes are closed and heads are bowed and nobody's looking around. But if, if you want to ask Jesus to one more time forgive you, would you just lift your hand? Just lift your hand with me. I see it. Thank you. And just lift your hand and say, Father, I know who you are. And it's not that I'm a really bad person, but I could be a little bit arrogant here. I could have a little bit of pride in my life that I need to get rid of. I pray those that are watching that you're also thinking about this. And I pray the Holy Spirit 
permeates the place of this place, of this sanctuary, and your home or wherever you're watching, and recognize how much God loves you and how serious the call is. So, Father, I just come to you one more time. And for those that raised your hand this morning and are agreeing with this prayer, I just pray that you would hear our hearts today. Pray this with me. Jesus, please forgive me. I'm sorry for my sins today. I repent of the things that I've done wrong, of my arrogance. Maybe I didn't even know that I was, but I'm sorry. I come humbly to you today and ask you to change me and give me a new life. Give me a new heart. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, now you can leap like a calf. Now you can have joy in your heart because there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Therefore, you can have celebration in life because you're now one of the few. You're now one of the few because you fear the name of the Lord. Amen? Jackie, let's sing a song of praise. Yeah, let's change it. Let's sing a song of praise, a celebration. <laughs> I'm putting her in the spot. Ready in season and out. There you go. <laughs> Stand with me if you would. Yours will be the only name that matters to me, the only one whose favor I seek, the only one that matters to me. Yours will be the friendship and affection I need to feel my father smiling on me, the only name that matters to me. And yours is a name, the name that saved me, mercy and grace, the power that forgave me, and your love is all I've ever needed. Yours will be the only name that matters to me, the only one whose favor I seek, the only name that matters to me. And yours is the name, the name that saved me, mercy and grace, the power that forgave me. 